Welcome to the Special Interest Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Carly. We are the creators and hosts. As two women who received late autism diagnoses, we are passionate about educating, celebrating, and highlighting autistic identities. This life-changing diagnosis opened a whole new world to us both. Our special interests have been so important in our journey of self-discovery through our autism diagnosis. Special interests provide autistics with an element of regulation, comfort, and support. We want to provide a platform where others can share the joy of their special interests. Our podcast aims to represent diverse autistic identities through an inclusive community where autistic voices are valued, validated, and seen. We're excited for you to join us on our journey of learning and story sharing. Join us weekly as we share about our own experiences and other autistic stories. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to episode two of the Special Interest Podcast. Woo! We did it! Episode two! So exciting! Last week on the Special Interest Podcast, we discussed the importance of special interests and our goals with the podcast. How are you feeling about that, Alex? I feel pretty good. It was really exciting to talk about my special interests because I get so much joy out of it. It was a great episode. I had so much fun talking with you. I agree. It was a lot of fun. So how was your week? My week was good. I've been teaching a lot of yoga, which is really grounding, and I enjoy it so much. Again, one of my special interests is yoga. Mm-hmm. Mine too. Yeah, so just, you know, educating people on how to connect with their breath and their mind and their bodies. It's been my week. It's been wonderful. I'd love to share that Alex just led us through this wonderful deep breath practice right before this episode started to help ground us and start the episode and it was really nice and yeah thanks my week went really well um you know I've just started to get settled in Florida which is a new transition for me and it's been really nice I'm loving the warm weather here and just getting familiar with my surroundings has been really cool and exciting It's been so great seeing all of Carly's pictures and she's been roller skating on the beach and doing yoga. So I have loved seeing it. She's living the life down in Florida. Heck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode is going to take more of a serious turn because we really want to provide you with our background before we talk more in depth about autism and our experience. We feel that it's really important for our audience to get an understanding of where we were before our diagnosis. So the basis of this episode is how did I get here? Like my favorite song, how did I get here? Watching the days go by. So anyway, Carly, how did you get here? What was your struggle that, you know, led you to consider you're autistic? 
Well, Alex, thanks for asking. <laughs> well, to turn to a more serious note, a more vulnerable note, my story, you know, it's not easy to tell. It's something that is really close to my heart and has really helped transform me to who I am today. However, you know, it really hasn't been easy. Um, we kind of touched last week about the childhood self and what that was like for us. And now, once again, reflecting back to some pretty significant parts of my life and my story, I guess first I'll start by sharing just about my school experience and what that looked like from a young age was always, you know, feeling awkward, out of place, like the misfit. I remember, I can recall back in first grade practicing conversations of how to ask people that I thought I would maybe have a connection with and want to build friendships with, how to play with me at recess. I can remember feeling really distant to my peers and even if we were able to connect on the playground, the friendship wouldn't usually go further than that. And sure, that's only, you know, an elementary school experience, but it really was that foundation of learning friendships. And I can just remember sitting in classroom and always holding my belly in and being super uncomfortable whether it was what I was wearing and the material not wanting to participate or raise my hand because of the anxiety of using my voice I can recall students pointing it out at times which wasn't something that I remembered until later on in my life but people would call me mute and it really was hurtful because, you know, I would have friends that had seen me unmasked, usually neighborhood friends that would say, oh, she's, she's not mute. She's just quiet or shy. And I was kind of that forgotten child that was just overlooked because of my quietness. And then leading into middle school and high school, those feelings of anxiety continued to follow me. And something that's really important to my story is that I grew up with a sister who had cerebral palsy and was completely dependent of my family. She was five years older than me and honestly, really like a security blanket to me we would go to family parties and I wouldn't want to socialize with anyone. So I would, you know, stand by her side and, you know, always just touch her, hold her hand. And uh, she was nonverbal. So we learned how to communicate with one another through acts that sisters would, I guess. I'd like to take a moment to pause and offer a trigger warning mention of a family death. If this topic is too triggering for you, please fast forward about four and a half minutes. 
I will provide the time and space for you to do so. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And when I was 16, um, she unfortunately was hospitalized, which had happened many times in my life. So it wasn't something that at the time I looked at as abnormal, but I clear as day remember every part of it. And I was at work and I got a phone call saying that I had to go to the hospital. And my neighbors brought me to the hospital, which was again, very strange because my parents couldn't leave. And when I arrived, my dad came and met me and they shared with me that my sister wouldn't come home. And she never came home. And as hard as it is to share, it's important because it's a part of my story. And it was one of the most difficult parts of my life, you know, witnessing this loss, this death, not even knowing what death or life is, but just being an observer and losing this part of me it changed everything you know I went back to school that following Monday teachers didn't know I was then called into the guidance office and questioned about what had happened as if I wanted to talk about it and that was really a turning point of my life of closing down even more than I had it set me into this spiral of depression and even more anxiety than I could even explain. I then finished my senior year of high school. I went to college. My freshman year of college was so difficult trying to then connect with new faces, new people, having to share this piece of me with them that no one could really understand that I couldn't process or speak about. And it really made those college years so difficult because I was experiencing such a darkness, but yet I didn't want anybody to be let into that. And it took a long time in order to bring this part of myself to other people. It made me repress my emotions and memories. I had really one of my biggest fears I always said was that I would forget things. And I can tell you, I forgot everything. I was living day to day. I was in such a deep survival mode that was different because I didn't know that I was autistic. It was different because of these experiences that I was experiencing. And it wasn't until I graduated from college that I was able to process it a little bit more, you know, with deeper friendships that I was cultivating and 
having and life was just really difficult during this time and so after college I just remember having pretty bad panic attacks and not even knowing that they were panic attacks I would experience feeling like really sweaty and nauseous and almost like as if I was going to faint. And these were in moments, usually social situations, like if I were in a mall or at a party or a concert, I would have to remove myself from the situation and take a minute to just breathe. And thankfully I had support, but it wasn't it wasn't the support that I was looking for at the time. So then I finally, you know, started to seek therapy. I knew all of these emotions were building up inside of me. Having the anxiety and the panic attacks wasn't normal to my friends or the people I was surrounding myself with. It, it concerned them. It didn't help grow our relationships it actually hurt our relationships so I started to seek therapy and that process is very difficult uh you have to find a therapist that you can connect with and feel vulnerable talking with and I always felt like there were these topics that I wanted to bring up to my therapist of the anxiety or having trouble to speak speak and they would just always want to turn the conversation back to the loss of my sister when sure that was something I wanted to talk about but it wasn't something I was ready to talk about and it was almost like the forefront of what they always wanted to bring up so after college I you know continued to work and Something that's a part of my story, which I have really controversial uh, opinion on is ABA, trigger warning, just a mention of it. Maybe it's something that I will talk about further in the future, but for now, the mention is just to bring the understanding that it's a part of my story. And so one of my first serious jobs that I had after college was working for school and working in ABA. So this was my first exposure to autistic humans. I had had a lot of experience in the past working with different disabilities due to growing up with a sister with cerebral palsy, I was always involved in different special education programs and, and events. Um, and it was something that was really close to my heart. It, when I first started school, I really wanted to become a teacher and work in the classrooms. However, I always wanted to make more of an impact. and I didn't know exactly how that would happen. And so when I first started in ABA, I honestly, I liked my position at first. My first year went well. I was getting used to the people I was working with. I was feeling really supported by those I was working with. But then it was my second year 
that things really started to click for me. They really started to make sense for me. And one conversation that I can remember specifically having was with a coworker on the first day, you know, she was telling me about the case that I was about to work with. And she had brought up the topic of selective mutism saying, oh, I don't know what selective mutism is, but one of your students experiences it. And I really got close with these students. I was so passionate about my students. I had such a love for them. And this one particular student, I just felt like I connected to them in a way that no one else understood. And it almost forced me to start looking into more ideas about autism and selective mutism because I was like, huh, this is something I'm really relating to. That was the year that we went into lockdown for COVID-19 2020. And going into that year, I was starting to experience my first feelings of burnout. I was working in this classroom that was the size of a closet. We had about 10 students in it, all on the spectrum, all with different needs, all with different personalities, and three adults in the classroom. And we were squished into this space that wasn't meant for us and none of us were was happy about it we were all fighting for more space it was one of the first feelings that I felt and recognized that we weren't being treated fairly and this was brought on by the state it was, you know, something that we couldn't really fight against. They thought that we were there to be more inclusive. And it really just didn't feel like the case. It was, it was awful for all of us. And this is when I really started to experience more of that burnout. I was feeling really ill. I was feeling impassionate about what I was working on. I was feeling really angry. And then we were all sent home to just work on our computers and join in meetings on our computers as if it was supposed to be the norm. And I know it's what we all had to go through, but it was really difficult. And so then following the next year, we were able to return and be in the building. And I was, my caseload had switched and I started to work with different students that were in the gen ed classrooms, the general education classrooms. And that's when I started to see myself even more within the children that I was working with. I was then experiencing being physically ill every day. There were days that I would wake up and just be sick and there was no explanation for it. And I felt really terrible, a lot of shame around that. 
And so I started to numb myself a lot around that time. I became, I began smoking weed almost every day and I was binge eating a lot, which is something that I had experienced a lot growing up, but it was almost more identifiable at the time to recognize that it was used as a way to cope, even though it wasn't healthy. And it was through these connections that I was having with the students that made it worth continuing to go back to show up for them because I felt so much love for them, but it created so much hate and anger within me for the way that they were treated. And it honestly broke me and I started to process it more. I started to then, I found a therapist that was able to work with me and I can't express my gratitude enough towards finding a therapist that works for you because she really like saved me in ways that I can't explain. She taught me ways to cope and she made me feel like I wasn't abnormal and I I was exactly who and where I was supposed to be and I'm just so grateful for you know every experience that I've had leading up to where I am now because even though my story is difficult it's it's hard for me to share and I am filled with a lot of emotion when talking about it but it has transformed me into who I am today. And I'm really thankful and I have no regrets with anything that I've done that's brought me here. So thank you for listening. Thank you so much for sharing, Carly. I am so grateful for the beautiful human that you are. I am so grateful that life has brought us together and we have a beautiful friendship. But yeah, thanks again for sharing your story. I'm so grateful that you've been someone that I've been able to open up with and build a more vulnerable relationship with. It's really, you know, meant so much to me. And I love you so much. I love you so much too. So it was interesting because Carly and I talked a lot about our past and actually had a beautiful opportunity to process so much together. And the anxiety, she talked about the social anxiety and being misunderstood, feeling like she couldn't talk in certain situations. I don't connect so much with selective mutism, but the social anxiety is something I connect with so strongly. I used to have so much anxiety and people looking at me from the outside might not have been able to see that, but inside I was really suffering. I constantly had panic attacks and I am privileged in the sense that I was able to mask and not let people see my panic attacks. And I say privileged because that's how society 
views it, it's not okay socially for us to freak out in public. Some people can't control that, but I was able to. So really masking that anxiety that I constantly felt all of the time. I felt like I wasn't able to breathe. And I remember having a talking about therapy. I remember I had a therapist who literally said, well, you know, you can breathe, right? (laughs) And I only saw her for like two sessions and then I was like, bye. But now I have a wonderful therapist who I'm so grateful for. But now I don't feel like that at all. I understand myself so much more, which I'll get into later. Later, In the past, I felt so actually sick in large groups of people. I remember sitting in my high school classroom feeling like I was going to pass out because my teacher insisted that I had to sit in the front of the room, which was so anxiety inducing for me. I always forced myself to make eye contact. I actually didn't realize how uncomfortable I was with eye contact because it was so programmed into me, but it was actually so uncomfortable and having enough social energy to make make eye contact varies for me day to day. Some days it's really easy for me to make eye contact because I have that social energy to give. Other days, it's almost impossible for me to make eye contact. And again, I remember in high school, talking to my teachers and asking them a question and having so much anxiety when they were talking to me because I didn't know how long to look at them for. I didn't know where to look, focusing so much of my thoughts on that, that I didn't even get the answer to their questions. Then I would go to a peer who was more comfortable around and ask them. But it really, just that one thing, I struggled in high school so much with connecting to my teachers and my peers because of all the different social rules. But I really remember how difficult it was for me to make eye contact with people, even though that was something I didn't even realize up until I was in my 20s. This is something I've struggled with. Now I just don't make eye contact with people and I'm fine with it. I also would get really easily startled when I was hyper-focused on something. I remember at work, I had this coworker who would always come in to work, you know, excited. And I would be at my desk reading something and he'd walk into the room and be like, hi. And I would literally jump out of my chair, like terrified and look over at him. And he felt so bad, but it was so embarrassing for me. I would actually apologize for being startled just because... I knew that wasn't an appropriate response to somebody saying hello to me, but it's just, I couldn't help it. Like, that's just how I responded. So I felt a lot of internal shame for not being able to fit in, being, quote, like the way I was is kind of how I looked at it. Maybe not even realizing it was shame, but just feeling bad and realizing that I was a square peg and a round hole, basically. Another thing that really affected me was being so confused about my emotions, just feeling really not good on the inside and not understanding that I was angry 
or tired or hungry, those did not connect in my brain into an emotion or a feeling. I just felt bad and I felt stressed out because I felt bad, but I didn't understand that was angry, especially being hungry. Oh my gosh. I would all of a sudden get so, so angry out of nowhere and have so much trouble regulating just because I needed a Snickers. (laughs) You're not you when you're hungry. That's what it is. (laughs) Uh, But that was me. And it's still me a hundred percent, but I'm a little better with it now. And when I was really stressed out, I went to binge eating. That's something that I've literally grown up doing since I was a little kid, just using food as a way to numb my emotions and really over committing myself being so busy not having any time to be with myself that really started when I was I mean I've been really busy my whole life but in high school I just remember taking all the honors classes and AP classes and being in band and chorus and key club and show choir and marching like it talking about it all makes my head spin and that was a habit that I continued in college as well, I went to UMass Amherst for my freshman year, which is a giant university in Massachusetts. And there's so much to do there. I tried to do everything just because I wanted to be busy. I didn't want to have time with myself because I didn't know what to do at that time. And by that point, you know, college parties and spending my time doing that and using alcohol to numb my emotions and just really literally doing everything I could to distance myself from me and not give myself time to process. And something I've realized lately is when you're masking all the time, You're so disconnected from yourself. So being able to tune in and listen to yourself as an autistic person is already difficult. And then you have the pressures of society making you disconnect from yourself and your needs even more. So I was so disconnected from myself during this time. And again, still experiencing so much anxiety, panic attacks every day. I ended up not being able to continue at UMass Amherst because I overcommitted myself so much. I did not have time to do my homework and that was really stressful. So I ended up transferring to Bridgewater where I met some of the best friends of my life. Carly is one of them. And at Bridgewater, getting my footing again, it was nice. I was a little closer to home, which was good. And I ended up having a really nice foundation of supportive friends. My friends from high school also went to Bridgewater and it was so nice to be with them as I knew them and I was comfortable around them. They introduced me to so many people and I ended up joining a sorority and I wanted to join the sorority because 
I saw my friends from home had made so many friends just by being in a sorority and being somebody who had such a hard time making friends. I was like, oh, this is my ticket into friendship. And that was true in a way, but it also led to me really overcommitting. And again, I made myself so busy. Carly can vouch for me. We literally lived together and she doesn't remember living with me because I was never there. I was so busy all the time. By my second to last year at Bridgewater, I was a president in my sorority. I was a president of another club on campus. I was doing research. I was a mentor for high school students. I had two jobs. Also, I was a biology major and science majors have a lot of coursework because we have to take lab, which can take up like five hours twice a week in lab. And research was another thing that took up a lot of time. And these were all things that I loved so much, but I spread myself so thin because I just had that need to constantly be busy because I didn't want to make space for myself. So then I graduated from school and, you know, being in this constant cycle of overcommitment and busyness and ignoring all of my cues for rest, literally riding on the edge of a complete burnout. And then I got into teaching, which is something I had wanted to do ever since I was a little kid. I had always wanted to be a teacher. And the first year of teaching was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Again, overcommitting myself, working from 5.30 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, preparing lessons, grading students' work, thinking that that's what I had to do to keep up. And that's really common for first-year teachers. But just, again, being on the edge of burnout. But this time, it was starting to take a toll. And I started having chronic back pain. I had to spend weekends in bed just crying because my back hurt so bad. And it was because I was so stressed. But teaching gave me so many gifts. And I have so much gratitude for being a teacher. I connected with so many amazing students. And really had a lot of insight into what neurodivergence looks like. I had so many neurodivergent students and I felt so seen by them. I had a much easier time communicating with my students who are neurodivergent on the autism spectrum. I just felt like they got me. And I had so many wonderful relationships with my neurotypical students as well. And I'm so grateful for those relationships too. But my favorite thing about being a teacher is how much I learned from my students. They taught me something every day and my students taught me so much about myself and teaching autistic students really made me reflect on my own life experiences, observing how they looked at the world was something that I really connected with. I also have experience as an ABA. I did that before I was a teacher. And while I'm not going to get into detail about that, 
working with autistic students, again, gave me so much information about myself. And I started to realize that I feel so at home with people who are like me, neurodivergent. At the time, I did not have that word for it. But then COVID happened, as you all know, and being a teacher became so difficult. And it led to me having a complete burnout. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. And watching my students go through a trauma that wide scale and not be able to support them and give them what they needed was so hard and it completely burnt me out. Um, I'm actually taking the year off from teaching right now because I had to listen to myself and take care of my mental wellness. And the last year, last year while I was teaching, I was so burnt out. I was actually going to grad school at the same time as being a teacher and I ended up being sick constantly. I wasn't able to go to work. I had chronic pain in my shoulders and my back. Shout out to my chiropractor because I was there literally every day going to doctor's appointments, telling them I didn't feel good. And they just did not have any answers for me. And it's because I was so stressed out. And finally, my cycle of overcommitment and busyness turned into a full-blown burnout and I'm still experiencing the effects from that but I am really grateful that I'm able to take this time for self-reflection and discovery and really process and be able to recover from my burnout and I recognize it's a huge privilege that I have and I'm so grateful for it. And I hope that I can take the things that I'm learning and be able to share them with you all. Therapy has, like Carly said, I just wanted to return to that. It was one of the most important things I did over my time of having so much anxiety and being so burnt out. Shout out to my therapist. She's a literal angel. She is wonderful. I'm so grateful for her. And she really helped me to get access to learning more about being autistic and processing that I might be autistic. And Carly was also another huge help and had a lot of conversations about it. So I compiled all the information that I just shared with you and looked more into how to get diagnosed for autism and if that's something that that fit me. Thank you so much for sharing, Alex. There's so many points that you went over that are just so relatable from the anxiety, the binge eating, the burnout. And I cannot stress enough how proud I am of you to have witnessed your transformation over this time and to see 
you transform from that overcommitted human into really giving yourself what you needed. And I think that is just outstanding. I'm giving you a round of applause because it's just, it's, it's really inspiring. Thank you so much, Carly. And I'm sure that y'all agree with me that it would have been really hard to get through this and process this without all the supportive people we've had in our lives. And shout out to all of them. I'm so grateful for my people. I'm so grateful for you and all of the people who support me. I definitely agree. Thank you to everybody that's always supported us and will continue to support us. And we hope that we can be there for someone else that might need information or to process with. It's so close to our hearts and we're just so passionate about talking about our experiences and story sharing because, you know, vulnerability, it's really hard thing to do but it's worth it because of the connections you can make at the end of it. So thank you. Yeah. I strongly believe that each and every person's story is so, so important. And along with that, people having others to support them in their story, because this journey can be so lonely sometimes. And just reminding yourself you're not alone and finding people who are on your team. That's been so important to me. And again, I just can't say how grateful I am to have found all of these people who are now so on my team. And I love you all so much. Mm-hmm.